0: Trust that you are fortified by the uh, the bacon sandwiches um, from earlier. Um, And uh, glad to see you all. Um, That's those I've met before and those I haven't. um, We're familiar with the idea that togetherness is something which is very valuable. And not being together is is something which is a liability. So earlier on in the summer, um, finally football came home, not for men. But uh, but for women um, in in the UK, um, it's with England women um, winning the um, the European Cup, and that was a that was a great um, result. And one of the things that has been uh, used to explain their victory is that they were working together as a team. They they were not so much emphasising individuals, prima donnas, but they were emphasising working together. Interestingly. Gareth Safegate at the, the last World Cup had read and sought to implement a book, a motivational book called Belonging. Recognition in sport that working together as a team is, well, a smart idea, really, isn't it? Yes. Um, 11 people kind of doing their own thing on a pitch is not so good. Um, 11 people acting together is really helpful. Of course, in the last few weeks, we've, we've seen on the political uh, scene, what it means when people don't operate together, when they don't think about being on the same page with other people in their party, um, the Bank of England, the markets, and every other human being um, in the human race. Being together is a really important thing. And, you know, we kind of think about one of the words that might define human beings, and one of the things that defines as human beings is to relate or relationships. We're made to relate to people. All of us relate to somebody. All of us had a mother. We all relate to someone, and relationships are so important. Investing in them is really important, whether it be in our family, our workplace, or the church, or our local community. Relationships draw people together, they, they build strong and healthy uh, communities, and they get things done. And in the church, um, it's certainly true, isn't it, that where relationships are built and where we make that a priority, it's so important. Someone has said that there, um, there, there are no Christians who are only children. All Christians are part of a family all part of the family of God. So we come to this, um, this first text in Psalm 133, which says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's making an interesting observation about something which is good and pleasant. Now, some things are good, but they're not necessarily pleasant. Um, some people of a certain age might remember... Um, the insistence of their parents that they would have a spoonful of cod liver oil um, every day. Now, that was not necessarily pleasant, although apparently it was good for us. And I suppose if you've lived this long, maybe it was. Um, Those who have worn a brace on their teeth will, will know that it's not particularly pleasant, particularly when it's being tightened. But it does kind of give you that kind of Hollywood smile. Some things are pleasant, but they're not necessarily good. You know, just the one too many. Um, Just the too many of those lovely creamy cakes. You know, they're kind of pleasant. But they are not necessarily good. You know, they're not good for the waistline. They're not good for the heart. Not good for the liver. But here is something which is both good and pleasant. Something which is really valuable and really delightful. When God's people live together in a way which is harmonious and they demonstrate that harmony so that it can be seen it is good and it is pleasant now we're short of good news aren't we in this part of 2022 it kind of feels as though um, you you kind of flick through the the news and every item is kind of a fairly miserable item, there's not very many glimmers of hope And, and You know, the church of Jesus Christ has been described as an arrow of hope in a dark world. And it is that, isn't it? The church can tell a better story. The SGP conference um, yesterday was talking about a better story uh, in relationship to transgender and and same-sex issues. Living in a better story, communicating a better story of what brings human flourishing. The church when it works together, is a beautiful thing. A really beautiful thing. Now, ooh, we've gone far too far um, here. How do we get back? Do we kind of, we toggle back? You can't. You can't? get back. You can't get back. Is there something really missing there? There's, there's quite a few things that are missing. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe not. Next. Oh dear, that's strange. OK. Oh, ah, yeah, we have gone... Yeah, uh, no, mind. we've missed a few pictures there. Never mind. We'll come, we'll come back to them. No doubt. We'll, sorry, you just have to imagine now. Yeah, it's not my fault. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyway. The word good. You know, when you think about the word good, what do you think of? Well, if you think biblically, when you think of the word good... What comes to mind? Well, what comes to my mind? The first chapter of the Bible, where we're told after each day of creation, God says things that he's made are good. And on the sixth day, after human beings have been made, male and female, made to relate to each other, he says it's very good. And, and here in the psalm, the psalmist is using this word, good. And it's, a, it's an important word for us to keep in mind. God said it was, it was good when he made his world and he made us. And here is this word again, it's good when brothers live together in unity. Of course, there was one thing that God said was not good. In Genesis 2, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Of course, that chimes very much, doesn't it, with this psalm, Psalm 133. that It's good when brothers live together in unity. Loneliness, isolation, is not good. In fact, the government had to appoint a minister of loneliness in order to attack, tackle this big issue of people feeling isolated and alone, something that was exacerbated during the time of covid when being alone was grindingly difficult. Listen to these words from the novelist, Elizabeth Stroke in her book, I Am Lucy Barton. Lonely was the first flavour I tasted in my life. And it lays there, hidden inside the crevices of my mouth, reminding me. Very powerful image, isn't it? And maybe some people here feel that on a daily basis. To be detached alone, not connected, not relating, can be an extremely challenging thing. It's good when God's people dwell together in unity. Sorry, we haven't got the next picture either. Um, The next picture is of two brothers standing together. And the word brothers... Now, you kind of read it, but you kind of think, well... What do we know about brothers? You know, if you've had brothers, um, have things always been harmonious in your relationship with your brothers? Have you ever been annoyed by your brothers? Have you ever been disappointed by your brothers? Think about the biblical story. The first two brothers, Cain and Abel, fall out over who has acceptably worshipped God. And the argument ends up with one of the brothers laying in a pool of blood, dead. The next um, brothers we, we encounter are Jacob and Esau. And again, they, um, they fall out over who is to um, have the priority and the blessing in the household. And Jacob has to finally run away from home because he fears that his brother will kill him. And then Jacob's sons, we remember Joseph and the many-coloured robe, well, his Ten brothers that he goes out to take some food to are so um, fed up with his dreams, so fed up with um, the father favouring him with this very special coach, that they they sling him into a great ditch to die. David, when he goes to um, his brothers and again takes food to them because they're fighting the Philistines, They kind of say, well, what are you doing here? You know, you're just just coming to be a spectator. It's just a nuisance. And when finally Samuel comes and he he wants to choose one of those sons as a king, David isn't even invited to the event. Brothers, brothers. Jesus, his natural brothers, um, they didn't understand him. They didn't get him. So biblically, you kind of think of brothers and there's not a great track record of harmony amongst biblical brothers. So when Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together, dwell together in unity, he's saying something amazing is happening here. And of course, that's true of a church, isn't it? You know, you can understand why a club or an organisation works Because a club will bring together people of the same interests, the same demographic background. They're people who are pretty much, you know, a group of people um, that, that will connect with each other, that will get on, whatever. But you look at the church, the church of Jesus Christ, and you see very different individuals, very different personalities, a very different demographic. In fact, they say, don't they, that if um, people come to church for the first time and they look around and they say, there's no one here like me, it's pretty likely that they will not come again. But if they look around and they say, well, yeah, I can identify with, with, with people who are here. This is not a kind of stereotypical organisational club. Um, I, I could fit in because anybody is welcome here. It's a very beautiful thing, isn't it? To feel that you could belong is a really special thing. I remember the first time I went to church. I remember the preacher. The preacher um, spoke about us on the back row. Um, a few lads with fairly long hair, fairly long shoulder length hair. And said, um, he was talking about John the Baptist. And he said, probably John the Baptist was a little bit like those lads on the back row. <laughs> Now when I think of of the leaders of that church and how very different they were from us and and how difficult possibly it was for them to welcome us and, and not try and put us into some kind of pigeonhole, there's something very beautiful about that and I'm very grateful for that welcome, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is a very special thing indeed. And then there is this image, and I'm afraid we haven't got a picture for this either, but it's it's, it's oil, it's oil pouring. Um, we, We read there, it's like precious oil poured out on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now, it's a really kind of very messy kind of illustration, isn't it? I don't know whether you kind of like... I, I hate oil, actually. Um, you know, um, I hate washing up pans that have oil in them. It's kind, of, it's kind of not necessarily the most pleasant thing. Some stuff really ought to kind of stay where it is and not kind of get spread around. I remember being on a train once and had a, a bottle of water in my bag. I opened it up and I forgot it was sparkling water and I forgot I'd been running for the train and... Sh- Thankfully, it was just water. Of course, some people at the end of Formula One races, they get a really big bottle of champagne and they shake it up and they, they, they take the cork off and it sprays all over the team. And of course, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it, to kind of spray really expensive champagne around, um, certainly in a time of austerity. But if you just won the Formula One race, Well, it kind of does make a bit of of sense, doesn't it? This kind of exuberance, this um, sense of abundance, the sense of abandon. The oil poured out over the head. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, priests were anointed with oil, and, and that's what they're speaking about here, running down on Aaron's beard. And the priests had special... Garments and on their garments they had 12 stones, and the 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So the oil pouring on Aaron's head and over Aaron's beard and down his shoulders onto his garments um, was symbolic of the, the oil being poured out over him as a symbol, a representative of the whole people of God. This coming together of God's people, this dwelling together in unity, is. So special it's like oil being poured out extravagantly. Like the woman who poured out that precious oil ointment over the head of Jesus to show how much she loved him. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like oil dripping down the head, the beard and onto the garments, um, like that really old advert for aftershave, brute aftershave, when Henry Cooper, the uh, heavyweight um, champion, used to say, splash it all over. <laughs> and there is something about being together, just being together, worshipping together, enjoying one another, which is wonderfully delightful and refreshing. I remember um, when I first started going to Latvia and when I came back to Lansing and came back to Lansing Tab, a couple of things I really enjoyed. One of the things was singing because it's kind of a bit more difficult to sing. I've kind of learned to sing in Latvian, though much of it's phonetic and I kind of sing by faith that the songs are okay. Um, I love the singing. I love to join together with God's people singing but I just, I just was glad to be back and see people it's a good thing so I'm, I'm back um, in Lansing the next couple of Sundays I'm not preaching the next couple of Sundays and I'll get there early for the prayer meeting and I'll then go out and I'll chat to people because they're my people I love them and they love me it's a very beautiful thing it's a refreshing thing um, and we're encouraged by that. Well, the second image... And, of course, we haven't got the picture. <laughs> but it's an image... Sorry. We haven't got it. Uh, I don't think, unless it... Uh, no, we haven't, got, we haven't got it. Anyway. Get it, I'll paint the picture. A mountain with dew on the mountain. That's the picture. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, if you've been on the downs today, which... Probably suggest you're probably fairly crazy, but if you go on the downs um, early in the morning, um, one of the things you, you can encounter is the dampness of the downs because of the dew. Um, but we certainly find that down um, on the coastal part of the downs. Now, um, Mount Hermon, apparently, most of the moisture that is experienced on Mount Hermon is, is dew, and it's the equivalent each year of five inches of rain. So, the dewfall on Mount Hermon is excessive. You know, you get really wet. Um, by contrast, Mount Zion is bone dry. It's as if the dew of Mount Hermon fell on Sinai. It's, it's saying it's something almost miraculous. You know, if that happened, it would be astonishing, um, a miracle. This should not be. If, Mount, if the dew on Mount Hermon falls on Mount Sinai, that's what it's like to be part of the people of God and the delightfulness of being part of the people of God. And, of course, the dew refreshes. It brings fertility. It makes things grow. It makes things healthy and flourishing. And, of course, when God is at work in these people within the church, drawing them together, making them an arrow of hope, making them a community of love and sharing and togetherness. It is that refreshing thing. It is like dew in a bone-dry world. We've said it. we've got a, a minister of loneliness in, in England. We are in a situation where community is breaking down in many places, where society is suffering, and therefore the church has an opportunity to show that things are different. Hey, we've had this slide for a while. We're going to talk about this slide now. We're in the right place. <laughs> Emma Scribner, she's married to a, an evangelist in Eastbourne called Glenn Scribner. And she's written a book. She's written a book about her experience of eating disorders, eating disorders, and the self-harm that has arisen out of those eating disorders. And she says something very significant in in the book, A New Day. She says that the church has helped her to navigate her eating disorders and her desire to engage in self-harm. She says the church, and she gives 30 reasons why the church... Has enabled her to, um, to have hope rather than despair in that situation. Church is a place to remember the past, she says. And we're going to go quickly with these. To let go of the past. Because I can't love God until I know that He loves me. To be connected. To quiet my soul. To wake up from self absorption. To know who I am and where I belong. Because the Bible tells us it is vital. Don't give up the uh, assembling of yourselves together. To reflect on my week and see it through God's eyes. To gain hope and strength for what is ahead and for what has been. To learn how to live. To learn how to die. Because the church is less when I'm not there because I need my family around me because others' words to my soul are more powerful than my own because we are united in Jesus so that I can share my burdens and carry those of others to see what God is doing in other people to be challenged because the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone because my gifts are for the church, not for me Because I need reminding that God is big and powerful. Because I need reminding that God became small and weak. Because we're not the same, and I forget that. Because we're not so different, and I forget that too. Because I have a lot of questions and a lot of mess. For the singing and the stories. As a witness to the world. Because everyone belongs. Because church refocuses me. And helps me to see life as it really is. So she's saying that you know, if you're having one of those kind of duvet days where you want to kind of pull the duvet over your head and forget that the day has begun, if you're despairing of, of life itself, um, remember that there is a community of faith to which you belong, which can be an encouragement to you, where you receive so much and can give so much. Don't give up on that and finally the the outcome (laughs) the blessing life forevermore there in verse 3 for there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore you see the psalmist is saying it's a very precious gift to be part of this community it's the place where you are blessed that's why we don't want to miss that's why we want to be there 99% of success is turning up. That's probably true of of the church as as much as anything else. Being there, being together, being the the church. Coming back to that idea of brother, it's a statement in Proverbs 18. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many people suggest that that's a a reference to Jesus, um, our elder brother. We in the church are brothers and sisters together, but we have such a brother. Someone said about Jesus, our brother, our friend, the friend who sticks closer than the brother. A friend is someone who lets you in, but never lets you down. A friend is someone who lets you in, but never lets you down. That's certainly true of Jesus. It's often true of the church, it's always true of Jesus. And Jesus prayed, didn't he? He prayed a, a really important prayer that we, we read just a few moments ago. My prayer, he says, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. All of them there may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Let them and, sorry, sorry, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We've talked about hostility towards Christianity in some parts of the world. We generally don't experience hostility. What we experience generally is indifference, um, when, you, when you have hostility, um, you, you need to kind of mug up on your arguments. You need to have a case to state. When you encounter indifference, you can't argue with indifference. You have to show indifference something that's attractive enough to crack their indifference and draw them <coughs> to a better story. This better story, that Jesus loves us, He loved the church and gave himself for it. And he's creating in a church an image of the oneness that exists between him and his father, God. That when people see the church working as it ought to here, in Psalm 133, you see something of the heart of God himself. It is a big welcome sign that says... Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Praise God. Let's pray.